ho, 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 jingle bollocks and all that. Christmas is out of the way. And now it's the gap between Christmas and New Year, that dead time where it doesn't feel like either. Well, it's also time for you to catch up on your latest instalment, the journey through the wondrous experiences of Mark DeVito. Hope you enjoyed part one. Sure you did, because you're here for part two. And if you haven't heard part two, why are you listening to part two first and then go to part one? It makes no sense. Fucking stop messing with the very fabric of the universe. Go and listen to number one. And here comes episode number two. I'm now recording because you have this you have this lovely habit of saying stuff that uh, of not saying stuff that you think is not very interesting when okay. we're recording and then you say it off mic and it is really interesting. <laughs> oh shoot. Okay, well yeah, let's leap in. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um well um we last last we spoke um on these on these topics was um we kind of left it that you and a friend had thrown all your money in and we're going to head out to the um, to Europe to see um, Metallica. Kirk had said, look, you know, get yourselves out there. Right. Yeah, we were. Um, so my friend Jumbo and I decided, you know, I. I yeah, oh, sorry. All right. So, yeah, Jumbo and I had decided, OK, we're going to go we're going to do this thing. So we were all in. So I, I took essentially all my CDs that I had collected over the years and, and some vinyl, uh, cashed it in, in order to get a plane ticket over, uh, and back obviously. But, um, so we went out there, you know, just totally, um, you know, eyes wide open, had no idea what to do. We had never been to this country or anything like that. So we, you know, ragtag this is before cell phones i believe so uh and pretty we were on email but uh you know coordinating with uh setting up a, a place to stay and all that and uh kirk had told us you know don't worry when you when you get over there just you know we're staying at this hotel and that's it <laughs> so i mean yeah. we kind of were going on a wing and a prayer i mean most of the time it's like lars Lars would ask, you know, say, don't worry, we'll get you set up. But you're kind of like left hanging, like, oh, you know, we're going to get all the way over there. What happens if, yeah. you know, the person at the front desk doesn't let you in? What, anyway, what, we, what we wound up. Their version of what happens if their version of setup is not your version of setup? Exactly. There's a bit of a leap of faith there. But yeah, so anyway, we, we did, you know, Jumbo, Jumbo had known kirk a lot longer because uh, he was in spastic children with kirk and and things like that so right there there was uh, there was connection anyway so we went over there flew over um and sure enough you know when, once we got there we got to the hotel um and 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 reconnected uh, you know here's laminates you're taken care of here's somebody that actually knows the you know they're from belgium it was the guy that was the artist for halloween so uh, his name's Frederick. Uh, he drove us around. He showed us the city. I mean, it was oh. it was perfect. So uh, and first night we got there, Kirk took Jumbo and I and his family out to out to dinner. And uh, anyway, uh, we you know we had seen them in the states a bunch of times, and um, you know, 
commanding large crowds. But this was the first like European festival that Jumbo and I had ever been to. So we really were excited about, you know, what, what it was going to be like. And it, it was, uh, like I said before, I think the festival was with uh, Sonic Youth, Faith No More, Lenny Kravitz, Neil Young, Booker T and the MGs and all these bands. Uh, not a lot of metal on there, but big, big rock show. Uh, very eclectic lineups uh, like Europe was famous for. So anyway, and and we were like kids in a candy store. They gave us, you know, full access, you know, open bar backstage with, with you know, uh, beers that one can only dream of. And then we were spending $20 a piece on in the States. Uh, we were, uh, anyway, so. Wow, yeah, no, no, I, 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 I get it. It's, it is kids in a candy store time, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. And we, yeah. we cut very we cut loose so uh anyway it, it was a lot of fun uh running how around long you, how long did you do that for it was two nights i mean well i mean the, the the festivals were two it was the the very two last shows of the black album tour so july 3rd right. and 4th 1993 um the festivals were back to back obviously we got there a couple days early and we left it uh about two days after so we yeah. got to you know piss around Europe for a little bit. Uh, Jumbo is also good friends with uh, Jim Martin from Faith No More. And Jim's kind of a partier. So he was like, hey, come on. You know, when when you're done with this metal shit stuff, we'll go over to Amsterdam and really party. Uh, I was like, nah, I'm done after this. uh, (laughs) Anyway, uh, Jumbo went over and, you know, got got too high and wound up uh, (laughs) not meeting Jim uh going into a wax museum completely freaking out running across the street and plunking down like five hundred dollars on a on a hotel room that he just slept in and then got up and ran onto the plane but uh wow so uh but we anyway we got there we had these these laminates and pretty much could go anywhere we want and uh and i actually sat on on the side of the stage for a couple of uh a couple of the acts and then uh and that that was interesting too is is being able to see european audiences who i i i firmly believe there was like over 120,000 people there at yeah. each of these shows they were all there to see metallica but once they saw like neil young with booker t and the mgs and a couple and uh i believe sonic youth as well i mean people were just going absolutely nuts i mean these kids had their jaws dropped but uh but anyway, so it, it was European festivals. They were just, it was fun as hell. And that's awesome. I guess it, yeah. And, I mean, was that, was that kind of where your, um, after that, was that sort of where your relationship kind of ended with them? Did you, cause I, I can't remember if you sort of, if you were still working with them around the time. Um, no, definitely after, still after working that. with them. Yeah. After actually that at the end of the, the the shows um i met with tony smith who was their their kind of their touring manager personal manager going on the on the road yeah um and and jason newstead and they sat with me in the in the hotel bar and they said look you know we put out the feelers for like an official fan club and um they got such a huge response from such little you know little effort to to just get the word out that they knew they were onto something and uh and 
and Jason and Tony, since I had been doing some crew shirts and they thought it was fun and fan related that uh, they wanted me to design the shirts for the fan club. So I started, you know, submitting designs, but it, it was at, at that, it was at the end of the black album tour that I really actually, that's where I really was working almost, you know, I mean, continuously at that point, right. Um, both for the fan club designing, you know, fan club shirts. Um, uh, you know, we did, I did the fan cans. I designed, uh, you know, some advertising, you know, and little stuff here and there and continually on the other side of it, working, designing crew shirts and stuff like that. Uh, and that kind of continued on. It was, wasn't until probably like 98 that I started kind of tapering off. I mean, there was, yeah. And again, I think this is where, where some of the, my, connection with the band early on was as a you know a fan in small clubs going to see these show and and, and we run into each other at parties i mean it was a very tight connected social circle that you know we we careened on you know on the i i was a little bit around the outside when it came to metallica because they were kind of you know, they, they were these rising stars that are almost essentially passing through the Bay Area where, you know, Exodus, Testament, Death Angel, and these guys, we all hung out and grew up together and stuff like that. But, um, and here was something to me that was very familiar as far as like these guys were hanging out in my hometown and playing shows and doing things like that, along with all the other bands. Yet, there was a dramatic, you know, that there, yeah. there was a polar shift. These yeah. guys were like a corporation. I mean, it yes. was, yeah. and it really, and I, I kind of watched it evolve into that where I was being asked to do things directly from the band. And then slowly but surely it was like the manager would call me and then the tour manager's assistant would call me and they, you know, with ideas yeah. or we want to, so the, 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 the distance between me and the band was really starting to be felt, at least on my part. Uh, and, and the designs became fewer and far between. So, um, well, let's um, but let's, I, let's rewind a bit and 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 poke more into what you were hinting at there, which is which is the the scene that you were very much a part of, which is the the the, the legendary Bay Area scene that people like myself have heard so much about. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's passed into, into myth and myth becomes legend and et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Um, and it, even it's, hearing that is, you know, it's a little daunting because obviously, I mean, we all grow up in scenes and we, and, and we hear about the grass is always greener and, uh, uh, and, and, and at the time, as well as I'm sure with your upbringing and, and your, your situation with your scenes, you know, you, you think you're on to something, but you think, you know, it's like, well, this is happening over here and this is happening over there. And, yeah. oh, wow, New York is blowing up or, or the Bay Area is blowing up. Yeah. So yeah. there's this kind of, you know, we self 
fulfilling, you know, mythology about, you know, what is going on over there. I used to hear about, you know, what was playing at the mark, you know, the marquee was the, pre, you know, that was it, you know. And, and uh, I'm but, Hammersmith Odeon on Meanwhile, uh, over here, I'm buying, I'm buying bootleg, bootlegs of Exodus live at Ruthie's Inn, exactly, you know, which, is, which exactly. is like, which is your equivalent to my uh, Duchess of York in Leeds. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of insane how, I mean, we were, obviously we were sort of behind the curve and well, never really caught up because, you know, UK thrash never really um, established itself outside of the UK, really. Um, but it, it's that there are there are lots of similarities you know the tape trading scene and 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 just oh, yeah. and hanging out with bands and there be, and there being somebody who is handy at art you know like yourself and it, it, yeah i mean the, those those branches of this tree so to speak are 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 are, are similar on you know and it's you know you need to have somebody that has a van you know somebody's parent has a van somebody's parent was going to be you know permissive enough to let you practice this god-awful music in their basement or you know i mean and then there's somebody that can draw there's somebody that like is the virtuoso guitar player yeah you know so these things happen all over uh and in the bay area i think that it, it is supercharged a little bit because the Bay Area had so much of a history of local music, kind of these, you know, prominent uh, music stars over the years, you know, in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, and, and here it was, we were like, okay, there's another wave. Well, it can't be this music because nobody, you know, there's 10 people at our shows or going to the shows. Uh, so, you know, we, we took it seriously, but we also kind of were like, are, are we on to something? I don't know, but we enjoy it. So what the hell? We didn't really, get, yeah. you know, just like, just like anybody in any scene. So. Um, yeah, I know. It, I, I do think, um, because to me, it sounds like that, you know, the Bay area was going to happen whether Metallica were there or not. Um, yeah. But it, it kind of like, I guess Metallica could have come from anywhere and all, and all of these bands could have grabbed onto their coattails because the New York scene, everybody in the scene was clinging onto Metallica's coattails. Um, or, or do you think it just brought more attention to bands like Legacy, who became Testament, Exodus, and, you know, Death Angel, etc.? For sure. I mean, Metallica had a huge hand in, 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 in garnering that attention in the Bay Area, I would say that. Right. Exodus... I, I, I've talked, I've talked with my friend Andy about Andy Anderson about this. And, you know, he even called the other day and he was like, are you an Exodus guy or a Metallica guy? And I go, that's, that's, that right there is the rub is like, if you're, in, we were Exodus people because Exodus was our, I, I'll, I'll equate them to the Raiders that, you know, you could be, they could have the ball on, you know, on the, the one yard line and they'd still fumble it up but they got down to the one yard line. These guys were the, you know, the underdogs, uh, but you know, they, it, destiny, I, I, I don't know. It's like they had all the pieces to the puzzle and Metallica saw some of that. They saw, I mean, Metallica is a, I would say like a, you know, conglomeration of, of Nwabam, you know, yeah. new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah. They even got their start playing cover songs of obscure 
new wave of British heavy metal, Exodus were writing these songs. Exodus was not following a template per se, uh, where you can see that with Metallica. Metallica was kind of piecing these, you know, the puzzle pieces. And I think when Exodus and Slayer and things like that, those were elements that were, you know, absorbed into the Metallica thing. They perfected it. And it, nobody can deny that Metallica perfected yeah. what was being concocted in these little labs all over in different places. They put the pieces together. So uh, going back to the Exodus or Metallica, you know, if you were in the Bay Area, Exodus was the thing that we knew. Metallica came in, but were so congruent to the scene, both socially as well as musically that they were absorbed into it. But once you saw Metallica compared to what you saw other bands doing, there was this X factor that, I mean, they were doing it to the nines. Everybody knew it. It, it didn't, you know, didn't matter who you were, you know, who, who your favorite band was. This band was undeniably going somewhere because they had this, this it factor this x factor did um uh, did did kirk did kirk joining um kind of kick on you know kick metallica on you know was was dave kind of visibly holding them back or you know well i mean i, I think it was right place right time i think if dave had managed his demons there, there was no stopping that trajectory. I think Dave was a huge part of that band. And I can say that with, you know, when, when, they, when he was asked to leave the band, he came back with such a vengeance, Megadeth. I mean, yeah. it was like, uh, I mean, there, there, are, there are conversations about this too. That, uh, I mean, they, they, they yes. Dave was like a man possessed this was vengeance <laughs> and he came back with a vengeance and it was, it, it was neck and neck. I mean, it was, he was giving them Metallica a run for their money. I mean, this was in the Bay area as well. I mean, he had Carrie King playing with him. I mean, yeah. it was, yeah. it was a powerhouse band and uh, Metallica, you know, kind of took a little bit of a, you know, a wobble on that one. I think uh, Kirk coming into the band definitely gave uh uh, uh legitimacy i would say almost it's hard to tell the, the the reasonings why but i knew kirk had seen metallica and was just like these guys are on, on their way so uh when he joined it it definitely kind of wobbled exodus a, a little bit and there was i mean there's some also some uh you know another point was like the die by your hand that that yes. that was brought over to Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Now I've I've, and... I've heard about this from. Funnily enough, I got a message on Instagram today from Gary Holt. Um, oh yeah, uh, because we obviously we took together back in the day for uh, on their yeah. Fabulous Disaster tour, and um, uh, I sent him a message a while ago about doing the podcast, and he was like, "Yeah, cool." And then I didn't hear from him, and I just had a message yeah. from him to say, "Look, sorry." Been quiet loads going on but you know let's catch up in the next couple of weeks and i Perfect. remember speaking to him about die by die by my hand yeah a long time yeah ago. 
I mean, again, I, I, what I remember. Oh, actually, sorry, sorry, heard. sorry. Sure. Just, just let me pause you there. Um, for everybody listening who isn't aware what we're talking about, um, the "Die by My Hand" riff in um, uh, "Creeping Death." The we all know it, don't we? Clap along, um, and uh, yeah, that's a, that's an Exodus riff, basically. And now Kirk seemed to think that he wrote it um and gary seems to think that he wrote it so yeah you know we're uh and 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 there are exodus fans who heard the song and heard the metallica you know so i remember hearing it i remember hearing it on live at ruthie's inn i remember that and and do you know what the weird thing is I've just remembered hearing it on that bootleg when you when you oh. mentioned it, like hearing it in an Exodus song. I was thinking, I've heard that. Oh God, yeah, yeah. no, I, I remember hearing it. Yeah, there were lots of little sprinkles of again. This we're kids and we're like, you know, they're 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 taking away our toys. You know, this kind of this. You know, they're wait that that was ours. You know, and there's this hometown locals only. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Kind of keeping your arms around it, but it was it was nebulous because they had come in and they were friends with everybody. So, I mean, it, we, we all hung out in the socials. So it was kind of like, yeah, you know, you shouldn't have taken that. And, you know, there was this back and forth and such like that. I mean, Andy, even Andy Anderson talks about, uh, you know, using the uh, Johnny got your gun. Cause that was their logo it was the cover of the book from Johnny got your gun. And Metallica eventually did the one video with from, the movie Johnny Got Your Gun, and uh, there, I mean, there's lots of little things uh, that can't, you know, people buzz about. Uh, but anyway, Metallica would definitely had their, 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 you know, their roots in with with the Bay Area and the Cliff and uh, Kirk thing. I'll equate to that; th- those were the natural. If 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 you wanted somebody that understood what their sound was going to be and 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 putting in it would be somebody from the bay area just like slayer when when jeff hanneman passed the the obvious choice and pretty much the only choice would be gary holt from exodus i mean that that's how much the metal community respects and understands the 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 importance of that that the bay area thrash and what you know, Gary and, and Kirk, they were at the beginning of it. Tom hunting yeah. too. I mean, Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. Um, um, and, and when, and when Slayer um, used to come through to, um, to, uh, to the Bay area, that must've been fun. Yeah. At the beginning. I mean, it was, uh, uh, I mean, there's, they played a couple shows. They played um, the, the one show that I saw they had already been through once. I think the, the bootleg that you're talking about is when they played at Ruthie's Inn in Exodus. And I, I think they were playing two nights, not yeah. at the same venue, but the first night they played, I think it was in San Francisco. And this is what I've been told was that um, they showed up and it, people had heard what they sounded like because of the tape trading. And obviously uh, there was that. Uh, but for some reason coming from, uh, you know, southern california they showed up with eye makeup and paul bailoff who's the singer of exodus and who is the the uh 
what is it, the standard bearer for Bay Area thrash. He, yeah. you know, he he was the, you know, death to posers, you know. <laughs> he, he would, uh, the, the stories, well, yeah. I mean, you've all heard the stories, they're legendary about his, his demand for, you know, you walk this metal line. This is, this, you shall not be poser. Uh, uh, and he was brilliant about it. Uh, and that kind of kept everybody to the Bay Area's idea of, you know, don't, don't pull that rock star attitude around us because yeah. it doesn't wash. And, you know, so um, anyway, so Slayer came, had come up and they were wearing supposedly eye makeup on the first show. And after that, Paul took them aside and said, you know, they'll kill you. And if you go into Ruthie's Inn, I don't care if you sound like the heaviest band in the world, these, the, the fans will tear you apart. Uh, and that was the first and last time they wore eye makeup, supposedly, from that point forward. Nice. Uh, and I had saw them, they had this, uh, Wes Robinson, who, as you, you talked about, Ruthie's Inn was this small little Bay Area local club. Yeah. Um, and and uh, Wes Robinson was the owner and ran it. And I'll, I'll be, I'll be there. There are legendary stories about Wes, uh, you know, uh, somehow not coming up with whatever money that you owed, you know, you were owed for playing that night. Right. Uh, and all these other things. He was a, a, a wonderful guy. And, uh, and he really gave the opportunity to a lot of it. This was the only place that was, you could go as an underage kid to go see a band during the week yeah and sure you had slayer exodus and those guys were commanding the uh you know the the uh friday saturday slots uh for the big eight dollar ticket you know yeah uh, but for the rest of the week you had bands like pillage sunday sacrilege bc and these these smaller bands that were kind of coming up and same with like legacy which became testament death angel yeah. And, and uh, attitude adjustment. You could see a show almost every day of the week for like a couple bucks. And that's where a lot of these other bands were kind of coming up. Wow. Um, but the, the, the Slayer gig, and so Wes put on this one big fest, couple festivals in this park called Aquatic Park. And he called them Day on the Dirt, which was kind of a, a nod to the Day on the Greens, which yeah. was the big program, flashy, you know, big rock show. Uh, but it was Slayer, uh, Exodus, Suicidal Tendencies. Would this have and, been one of those shows that took place on the back of a truck? Um, it, it, it actually, they had, I think it, there was a, at one point, there was a, 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 a flatbed truck that they would pull up. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I remember it is kind of like a really ragtag, like maybe, you know, strapped together uh, pallets. Well, I've, uh, defi I've definitely seen pictures of Slayer playing on a flatbed truck when they're very young. Oh, yeah. Um, and and kids that I grew up with, you know, literally I, Andy Anderson and Toby Rage were these guys that would stage dive. They were legendary. I mean, they and there are photos in that murder in the front row, as we talked about that yeah, book. That's the photos I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the two guys you'll see most, and you, they used to call him Andy Airborne Anderson. Yes, uh, because yeah, I remember, he was yeah. literally leaping across, uh, flying over. Toby would always go for 
I, I go for height. I, I don't know. He, there are things that, that don't see humanly possible, but he would stage dive. He would leap off of the Marshall stacks into the crowd. It was amazing. Um, but the, 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 those shots of us all in that little park, and there was, you know, maybe 150, 200 people there tops to see, you know, Slex, Exodus, Slayer, and Suicidal Tendencies. And uh, it, wow. it was amazing. It, it was just amazing. Um, $5. There were people they even thought that $5 was too much. And they tried to, you know, float across this uh, estuary that was in between the freeway and the, and the park yeah. to save five bucks. The only thing is that that estuary was so polluted with sewage that, you know, they would essentially, I, I, I was, I used to joke that the first pit was started at that day on, day on the dirt because there were several people that had fallen into the estuary and the smell of sewage kept everybody in a circle around them. They just didn't want to be where I <laughs> but uh, I mean it's 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 when you hear stories like this it's kind of like yeah I, I there's again there's always something relatable you know like cobbling shows together in a field and stuff like that yeah um, and it's and it's kind of like you know it, it's what every scene does um, yeah, you, um uh, so you started out and it, the, the the tale of the uh, the legacy backdrop um, and presumably did you did you become sort of backdrop man from that point on um, or was it literally anything you can lay your hands on? Like, you know, if somebody wanted something painted on, then you'd do it, be a backdrop, a drum kit, a jacket, whatever. Yeah, I mean, there, I, I would hesit, always hesitate to say that I was the, you know, the guy that did this. And right. uh, yeah, okay. You were what you were but, one of one of those people. Well, I was one of those people, but yeah, I mean, the, the other thing too, this is prior to the internet. So, I mean, you really, it, everything was word of mouth yeah. and, um, uh, you know, k- kids that I went to high school with in junior high were literally like, like Alexis, this, this friend of ours, Alexis Olson, he was managing legacy at the time. So he'd invite me over to his mom's house and on her kitchen table, we draw out these, you know, satanic, you know, blood spurting corpses for these, these flyers, you know, (laughs) and his mom would be cooking and looking over and, you know, wincing at us. And, 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 you know, this was our, you know, we're plotting world domination, leave us alone. You know, we're, 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 no more blood, more blood. And anyway, we'd be drawing these things. uh, And, you know, he would tell, you know, somebody else, Oh, we had Mark do that flyer or, or, or Lizzie did this comic book for, uh, for Exodus. And so there were several people, but I mean, again, it was, you know, it was, Oh, this guy knows how to play guitar. Oh, this guy knows how to draw. Or well, this guy that, paint something for twenty bucks. That's yeah. a scene, it's essentially, a scene. what you're describing, isn't it? It's like you know, people know people. You all, you all kind of just like share contacts, and you know, there's yeah. uh, there's none of there's none of oh that's that's our guy. He does that for us. Find your own. It's like everybody just uses everybody's stuff, you know, and absolutely. Yeah. And I and I got to be known actually more for drawing logos on the backs of people's like army jackets or something. And that's how I met Exodus is because 
people would see, you know, these like Led Zeppelins or Motorheads that I drew. And actually yeah. that was one of the first things I, uh, I did. I did a jacket for uh, Rick Hunel for Exodus because he saw me hanging out in the park across the street from my school. And I was yeah. ha- I had my jacket on with, and it became like a little calling card. So every once in a while, and that's how I met, you know, Exodus. And I wound up painting a jacket for uh, Zetro, you know, a motorhead thing. Uh, now, that's know. interesting. That's reminded me of a conversation we had off mic, I think, about. Um, and I can't remember how you ended up there, but you, you said you were in the UK and you found loads of bootleg Exodus stuff, and you were like, oh, yeah. and like you, you rang Rick, and he was like, yeah, buy it all, buy it all. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that, that was the thing, Piccadilly Circus, you know, you'd walking around, and, uh, you know, this was in 1986, I went over there, and, you know, the album, the Bonded by Blood had been out for almost a year at that point, um, and yeah, there was, like, back patches, coffee mugs, hats patches stickers and he's like get it all yeah i called him up and i was like wow you guys got merch over here and he's all no i don't no we don't get it bring it back over so he wanted me to buy a bunch of it and bring and i was like i i can't afford it all this stuff so that that is the typical reaction of somebody um at that age at that stage in the business where you like you know you're flattered that someone's bootlegging you do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, oh, it's not until months and years later that you become bitter about it. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've always tried to stay away. I, I've been bootlegged before by my, you know, for some of the Metallica stuff. And I, I laugh at it because yeah. number one, you know, it, that, that that's done and done. But it, it it's uh, uh, it's a it's almost gives you legitimacy. <laughs> it's like. Hey, I'm good enough to be bootlegged. I feel good yeah, about absolutely. myself, you know. Absolutely. At least it's the first. And then if well, it's... imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. And if somebody is literally imitating what you're doing, then you're doing something right. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that that's I think and that that's funny because uh that does segue into the idea of of we had an idea of how big things were going uh at that point but it is just it was even the bands were starting to go what you got to be kidding me yeah and i think we talked a little bit about uh alex skolnick as a, a a friend of mine that i went to I, I i had one year of high school with him and we became friends and since i was doing flyers for legacy it, you know we kind of word of mouth we we would hang out and talk uh and the first time the Testament went to Europe, I mean, they were just blown away at the, at the, uh, at the response from the fans. I mean, there were huge Testament tattoos going across these, you know, massive fans uh, and they're, you know, trying to break into their, uh, their, their caravan where they were, uh, uh, I guess they have uh, some kind of camper that they were, was their uh, dressing room. And I mean, they, they, they absolutely went ape, ape shit for them. So it, anyway, yeah. there, there yeah. was this like, oh my God, you know, and, I, and I'm going to be back in time for history class. But right now I'm playing like a festival, 40,000 people who all are chanting Testament songs, you know, when we couldn't fill up, we couldn't fill up Ruthie's in with, with yeah. fans. over here. There's like, they, they, they adored them. And it was, I mean, it was amazing. It was great. 
Yeah, I think um, Europe Europe adopted just about every thrash band before their own countries. You know, it, it's it's yeah. literally it was like having such success in Europe made American kind of labels sit up and go, we should really put the put our bands out over here because they seem to be killing it in Europe. Absolutely. Um, and um, I, I yeah, it's it's it, it's 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 kind of weird. One thing that I was I, I thought of when you were talking there was um, where where in your mind does Testament fall in here? Because you know Testament previously Legacy previously with Zetro who then goes to Exit. Yeah, they seem yeah. to come along. They seem to be like you know almost still referred to today as like you know the Metallica of the second wave. It's like the second wave yeah. had almost begun. Um, and and they seem to be at the forefront of that, and 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 I, you know, I I don't know how kind of you know how or why, um, but they just they just seem to appear, and uh, um, and already have momentum, instantly as soon as they appeared, you know, Death Angel seems to take a backseat, you know, and and maybe even Exodus to a certain extent. Testament had a real impact. Yeah, I, I mean, again from. From the perspective from where I sat in the Bay Area, I mean, Legacy were one of those bands, kind of like I was saying before, about being able to go see a show in the middle of the week. You know, most, like, Alex Skolnick was my age. And at this time, we're talking about, you know, 15, 16 years old, where they're starting to get more and more gigs but they can't play San Francisco because it's got a bar. Yeah. So you can't, I mean, there was a bar at Ruthie's, but, you know, kind of took a blind eye to it. But uh, so, I mean, there was, and that was the thing about Death Angel too. These guys were kids and that was the word of mouth. You got to hear what these young kids are doing. I mean, yes. it was, Yeah. but the only time you can see them is after school before a soccer practice, you know, at Ruthie's Inn in the middle of the day or whatever yeah. it was, because yeah. that, the, the, so a lot of these guys that, that we all grew up with in this, in this, in the Bay Area were following on the coattails of what Metallica and Exodus were kind of laying down. And I would say like, you know, Legacy was, just maybe a step behind exodus yeah. exodus had already taken unfortunately a two-year pause with 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 an uh, with an album that is arguably a seminal bay area thrash record for all of thrash metal i mean it's a, bonded yeah. by blood i mean andy and i were arguing about this Kill 'em all, bonded by blood. You know where do you, you know? Kill 'em all came out two years before, but bonded by blood had been written, sang, and everything else. But at the same time, it was literally just through, you know, fumbling with legalities and stuff like that. So well, it was um, it was, it was so, one of many combat fuck ups, basically. Yeah, and I think that 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 pause also for these other bands that were up and coming or coming through the through the they, work, they filled the gap. They filled. They the filled gap, the but, gap, yeah. but also it wasn't until Bonded by Blood was coming out, you know, because they it it's almost like a cue. 
Metallica yeah. came yeah. through and were way ahead. And so, okay, they're in that. So you're not going to have to compete with Metallica for a Saturday, Friday or Saturday night gig where people are going to be able to see you. Um, uh, Exodus was taking up those, those weekend slots and maybe they would open with legacy or somebody else like that. I mean, those, and that, that was almost the, the, the lineup, you know, it was yeah. like, I can't move to the next square until this guy moves to this next square. So hurry up and get your record out so I can get to this, you know, and locally yeah. that's, that was in the mindset, I believe for most of us. And, uh, and it, it, then it became the field was so packed with all these up and comings, you know, these, these bands that were springboarding on, on essentially their, their careers were, were just launching. So when you talk about like legacy, when Zetro left um, legacy to join Exodus, that took a hobble really to, 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 to uh, legacy. Yeah. Uh, That, and, and, and again, you know, it's almost like the chess pieces were moving around so quickly that it was like, no, no, Exodus was just about to, you know, and, and oh, wait, Legacy was just about to, you know, it, well, it I, seemed I, like. I remember at the time, I mean, because it, it bled over, it bled over into the press and over here, you know, everybody was aware that um, that Zet had come in from, and, you know, we, we hadn't heard anything of Testament yet. Yeah. Um, you know, but we were aware that Zet used to sing in this band that was called Legacy, who were now called Testament. And, you know, there's an album coming out. There's an album yeah. in the works. Um, so we all we all heard, you know, Zet as you know, singer of Exodus for the and that was that we'd you know, we'd never heard uh, him sing a note prior to that. Um, yeah. and it was and and it was the unfortunately rather lackluster Pleasures of the Flesh that was his sure. kind of debut, um, which was particularly underwhelming. Um yeah. I mean, I will say that the legacy demo has got to be hands down one of the best demos going around. I mean, oh, and that right. was... now you see, you're just you're just showing off now, Mark. You're just showing off. You're being you're being the ultimate metal metal elitist now. Oh, the demo, the demo with the, the old singer. <laughs> it's a famous demo. It really is. I actually. I snuck it into Tower Records. A friend of mine was working and Alex said, dude, can you get this to play over the speakers in, in, in Tower? And I was like, I'll, I'll ask. And you're not supposed to do that. It's only supposed to be, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, you're only supposed to play. But I snuck in there and my friend put it on the tape deck and we sat there and, you know, me, Eric Peterson and, and uh, uh, Alex were standing in, in the in the front Wait, waiting to see the manager come running back because all of a sudden this loud noise comes across uh, the speakers and everybody's looking up and anyway that was our little prank. But I, uh, I've done that a few times. I worked. I worked in. Uh, I worked in record shops. So I, oh, yeah. yeah, I've definitely done that. I've done that with my own band. I've done that with Acid Rain. Snuck it on in Virgin Records in the middle of in, in the middle of the Saturday afternoon to see what see what everybody would do, and you just see people <laughs> flicking through records and all of a sudden they'd stop and look up yep <laughs> it's a great feeling and then it's like oh we got away with that and then funny enough like five years later i'm working at tower records designing these you know the displays and yeah. i'm putting up death angel displays testament displays yeah, yeah, everyone and it's yeah. like yes 
screw you. These are our guys, you know, and they make, but now they're on major labels. So I actually get paid to do this now. <laughs> so that, 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 that is awesome. That's kind of like, you know, full circle and recognition of, of, you know, that the hard work and, and everything that oh, yeah. he's put in because, you know, they're, they're, whether there was a scene that was internationally recognized there because Metallica came from it, yeah. you know, whether that's the case or not, it's, it's, the time is the ultimate test. And here we are 30 years later talking about those days. Um, yeah, exactly. If not, if not, if not longer ago. Um, and that's, you know, that's the proof in the pudding that all these bands are still around and they're all still, well, apart from Slayer, they're all still around and they're all still putting out yeah, yeah. New albums. Well, maybe Lars Rocket as well, but um, <laughs> yeah, Lars Rocket is another. Uh, I mean, Bay Area. Lars Rocket headlined over everybody. They they had they headlined over Metallica when Metallica first came up. Lars Rocket were the yeah. and it. Uh, I I know half those guys, and they're they're wonderful guys. And rest in peace, Willie Lang and Vic Agnello, the the drummer and the bass player, respectively. Uh, uh, and 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 talk about a band that springboarded other people to do other things, um, but they were the go-to metal band. <laughs> so you, and, would you uh, say at, would you at, say that they're yeah. they're the band with the biggest influence on the Bay Area scene that nobody's aware of, as in nobody's aware of the amount of influence that they had on that scene in general because let's face it their career never really happened it never really took off it never really took off they were two um, thrash two thrash for metalers and two metal for thrashers uh yeah there, there's that it's um <laughs> they were the it's hard to stay and it's definitely it's incredibly difficult because I really do like these guys personally. Uh, yeah. As, as Don't people. worry. I'm sure they're um, not going to say this. Oh, no. I, but uh, no, I'm sure they will. Because <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell them about it. Um, right. Okay. Um, I love Las Rocket, by the way. One of the best bands ever. Just oh, out there. I think. <laughs> in, case, in case they I, are watching at any time. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, they, it, they, they were a solid band. Put on a great show. Lots of, I mean, this was like yeah. almost like uh, you know uh, homemade uh, pyrotechnics. Yeah. Um, not necessarily feeling entirely safe as a fan going to any of these shows because literally at a coffee can filled with explosives yeah. that. The, the manager would oh we'll just put this in there and light it off and hope for the best anyway they were definitely uh, they just had the in with all the all the clubs too and they had been essentially the first local band that was let's let's call it professionally yeah put together and professionally yeah. run yeah i mean exodus was managed by you know friends um that had some knowledge, but they were learning as we go, kind of like all of us really were. And let, uh, Laws Rocket, uh, their manager, he knew a lot of people and he was really smart. And uh, I mean, hands down, an excellent manager. And that's kind of set the bar for these other bands that were local to say, you know, we do need real 
management if we yeah. want to get out of the smaller places. So I, at Laws Rocket had the formula. They had, you know, the, the, but. Yeah, I, but it, it, for it, me, it's they didn't like, have the it factor. They didn't have yeah. whatever it was that everybody was going for. Yeah, you had Y who had the sound and the and the the virtuosity, but they were lost somewhere in between metal and rock. Yeah. And with that being so nebulous at the time, kind of had a later well, was, start. Had to fall into one. Cat. It was a big thing because I, I, you know, I remember getting Last Rocket albums and trying and. Um, yeah. And I remember thinking, like, the, just the imagery, the artwork, and everything else was just uh, just a little bit too heavy metal, because yeah. because bearing in mind at this time, there's only there's only fucking two genuine genres of heavy metal: there's heavy metal and there's thrash metal. Whether or not you call hair metal a, a, a genuine established genre, then maybe maybe it is. But the only reason it's even established sure. as a genre is because of thrash and it became thrash versus glam if you like um yeah and, yeah um, and so like you said it, it plays into it being very nebulous at the time which is just something as simple as the way they were representing themselves um through their imagery was just it was a little bit old metal and thrash was this new thing thrash is where right. this like where you you dress down to be in a band you know, and 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 Lars Rocket didn't seem to seem to like have the sound of a thrash band, but but they weren't. They clearly weren't. And no matter how much I tried, it's like it's sure. just it's just too Dio, you know. It's just too Sabbath. It's just too it, it, it's too old. It felt. It, do you know what I mean? It just felt like, and it felt yeah. like they were really trying to be a thrash band, but. It, it just lacked um, authenticity, you know, or not so much authenticity, yeah. not so much. That's a bit unfair, to be honest, because they, because they were a good band, as you've already said. I mean, I saw them in Leeds on the, um, on the huge fest we did over there and, um, uh, and oh. yeah, they were great. Um, but clearly what they were doing, just like I said, I think it just fell between two stools. It didn't work for thrashers. You know, exactly. it didn't work for metalers. It was, you know, too thrash for metalers and too metal for thrashers. And I just think it just, they were really unlucky. Yeah, I, I think that as well as, I think that they had a concept and an idea of what they wanted to do, but it was mostly presentation and the substance of, of the, the songs. I just yes. wasn't to that level where it yeah. was so unique that it would set them you are squarely in this in this log yeah. it was just you're the headliner and yeah, they, we're going to try to come up <laughs> yeah the, the 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 sum the sum did not equal the constituent parts exactly all good people all talented uh just the sum of the parts just didn't quite add up yet yeah. they were headlining over everybody so i mean um that wasn't <laughs> Yeah. So it's but again, every band when you were talking about them and saying like you know, but they had the management. But every scene also has that band. You know, every scene has that band that is just just a little bit ahead of everybody else, and just a little bit smarter, a little bit older, and a little bit yep. smarter, and all. And and that band rarely, rarely is the most successful in the scene. It has it has its day in the sun. And that's yeah. and and the day in the sun is when you've got all of these young bands just behind you who are all keen and have got momentum, and are yeah. desperate, 
and eventually they just stampede over the uh, over the band that was once top of the pile. Um, yeah, and 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 to their credit, I think they kind of opened a little bit of the doors, so to speak. Maybe oh, not. Yeah, for, yeah. Not for, for like yeah. beneficial reasons to the to the crowd, but more of like it just so happened that you could have a band that sounds like they do headlining on a weekend at yeah. some of these venues. So it was yeah. giving more like we could sell the tickets. They could sell the tickets, whether they could sell the tickets because they had Metallica opening or Exodus or something like that. You know, yeah. that I'm sure that helped. Well, yeah, but again, uh, but, that, yeah, but that what that does as well is that introduces those support bands to the promoter of that venue. And he sees they go down very well. And then all of a sudden, you know, Lars Ulrich, Lars Ulrich, Lars Rock opens the door. What? Wow! What a uh, that's what a, a Freudian, Freudian slip, slip right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, yeah Lars, but... Lars, Lars, Lars Rocket for fuck's sake, Lars Rocket opened the door to playing those clubs on a Saturday, and then all of I the think so. Oh, Lars Rocket yeah. opening the door for the support bands to come back and maybe headline there on a Saturday, and all of a sudden you've got the makings of a scene. Exactly, exactly. And then like we were talking about like murder in the front row is kind of like this, it's like the yearbook. And yeah. and and definitely seems like that. Yeah, for for us it was like a yearbook. I mean, we were flipping through and there's pictures of of us all hanging out, or you know, I mean it was it was a bunch of goofy kids all hanging out in the same place where lightning struck and 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 things took off. Uh and, and and this is something I've talked to Brian Liu and, and Harold about briefly, but th- there seems to, if you read that book, you would never know that the, well, you might not know that the, the Laws Rocket was even there at the time. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And you, albeit, felt, that, you felt that was a bit of a, a, a glaring omission, but by the same token, I can also see, you know what, it's, it's the, it is the story of Thrash and I'm afraid they they ain't a thrash band so they don't get in the story you've got to kind of decide what that true do you know what i mean i can yeah, see where you're coming from as a as a yeah. as somebody who's there at the time and as a, you know it feels like it feels like that there should be a mention but as as somebody who wasn't there at the time and looking at it as a as, as a as a as a documentation of the era of thrash metal yeah. um it, it doesn't suffer from the the emission of uh, of Lars Rocket, that's for sure. Right, and this is probably the reason why I'm not asked to do many podcasts is because <laughs> I, I I I I you know I believe that if you're going to tell the story, tell the story, tell warts and all, and like we were just talking about, there there, there is an element of Laws Rocket that was important to that scene. I, I, there okay, is okay. an I element of other- I get that, but yeah. I also think it's by the accident of their age and who they were. So you see, if, we, if, you, document, yeah. if you document Laws Rocket, then surely you've then got to document the band that they first supported at those venues so they could get it. And, and it then becomes a never-ending story. This um, is true, this is true. As opposed to, I, if you go, well, we're gonna capture thrash metal, are you thrash metal? No, you're not in. Are you thrash metal? No, you're not in. And 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 that's that's un, it's an unfortunate consequence. But I think you you know you're right to bring it up because well maybe not that I you know that's why you're here, dude. That's why you're oh. here. It's you've okay. got you know you've got the insider knowledge. You were there, 
And um, so I'm now going to, you know, I'm now going to argue against myself and say, yes, you were totally right. And um, it's a glaring <laughs> and omission. And thus concludes our podcast. And, and, they, and, no, and they should be in there. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But you know what? That does bring it all around to a lovely, uh, a lovely conclusion. Uh, don't go anywhere because I want to have a quick chat with you anyway. Um, but um, for now, Mark, a big thank you from me. And also a big thank you from, um, from everybody listening and watching, because that's been a fascinating journey into one of... Um, well, into thrash metals, Jerusalem. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to yet again bend your ear for some so some period of time. Uh, no worries, man. No worries. If it is Jerusalem, then that does not make you Jesus, but it does make you um, uh, an apostle, I think. So um, you know, oh, um, one that gets knocked off early on, I assume. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> let's hope. Not. Let's stop recording because I'm talking absolute crap. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's just lovely to spend time with him, isn't it? I hope you feel the same way I do that you're that you know you're you're picking up on and such like granular fine detail of bits and pieces of stuff that went on in an incredible era that you know set the foundations in place for the the way everything is well the way everything is in thrash and fast and heavy music. Um Mark is a is, is is great fun, and I'm sure it comes as no surprise that um, yeah, you know, we decided to do episode three after that um, because we'd hang up and then we'd talk more, and I'd be like, dude, we've got to get all this on the podcast as well. You know, he's talking to me about him and Felix from DRI, you know, r- running around going crazy in the back backstage area of a gig when Metallica were in town it was either for Master of Puppets or or and Justice for All I was just like dude we got to get these stories down um and hopefully we do get them all more to come in part three see you next year with that then <laughs>